This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Welcome to Episode 44 of the Recorded Future podcast. Thanks for joining us. The research and advisory firm Gartner recently took a closer look at security threat intelligence and published a comprehensive report with their findings, the Gartner Market Guide for Security Threat Intelligence Products and Services. The report explains the different use cases for threat intelligence, makes recommendations for how best to implement it in your organization, and provides guidance on evaluating vendors. In this episode of the Recorded Future podcast, I'm joined once again by Alan Liska, Senior Threat Intelligence Analyst at Recorded Future, to discuss some of the key takeaways from the Gartner Report and to see how the report aligns with Alan's experience. Stay with us. I think the report does a good job of providing an overview of what we're seeing and what I'm seeing with a lot of companies trying to implement uh, threat intelligence. Uh, But more importantly, I feel like it's capturing an evolving market. Hmm. So going from a static report-based type function to being more integrated into the security process and into the business process in within organizations. Uh, we've seen much more of that with threat intelligence. And that's kind of what I like about the report is that 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 measure of the evolution of threat intelligence inside of organizations. Yeah, uh, let's start off. Let's. I mean, we're going to work our way through this report and uh, sort of pull out some of their key findings and see how that aligns with some of the things that you're experiencing. Um, but let's start off with some definitions. Uh, this report uh, defines threat intelligence and also talks about the typical intelligence life cycle. Um, what's your take on this? Do you think uh, how they define threat intelligence aligns with what you're seeing out there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, they, they have a real nice concise definition um, that it is intelligence is evidence-based and it has to include the context around it. So, you know, and you and I have talked about this before, threat intelligence isn't a list of indicators. Mm-hmm. You need to provide the context around it. So their general definition of threat intelligence is nice and succinct. Um, and the fact that they have that intelligence life cycle, that to me is really important because intelligence isn't meant to be static. As information within the organization updates, your threat intelligence should uh, reflect the updated information. As, as, as things changed outside of your organization, your threat intelligence should adapt to those changes outside the organization as well. It was also interesting to me that that life cycle includes a feedback loop. Absolutely. So I think this is really important because there are sort of what I see is two feedback loops in working with a lot of different companies or organizations that have threat intelligence. There's, of course, the internal feedback loop, and that is your organization, your your team produces threat intelligence for the organization, whether that's sending indicators to a SIM or providing reports to senior management or the board, and you get feedback from those customers. But most organizations aren't large enough to do all of the collecting themselves, so they rely on third-party organizations. Uh, So they have other vendors coming in to deliver threat intelligence. And if your team is to be as effective as possible, 
that team needs to be able to provide feedback to those organizations as well. So that sort of makes a two-way feedback loop. You get a feedback from your customers, but you as a customer also provide feedback to your vendor to make sure that they're providing the type of tailored threat intelligence that you need to be successful. Yeah, one of the things that the report points out is that the content that comes from threat intelligence providers comes in two basic flavors, as they put it. It's that which is geared at machines processing it, which they call machine readable, and the analysis that's geared more at people. Can you sort of contrast those two? Uh, absolutely. So, and actually, I see more of a blending of that as hmm. as we move forward as an industry. Machine processing, let's say five years ago, machine processing was my SIM could take in a list of IPs, list of domains, and, and I could correlate that against my logs. And that's useful, but that's also really prone to false positives. And when you get a false positive, you don't know why it's a potential false positive. And so that leads you to not trust the source. But what we're seeing is machine learning has evolved. It can ingest better structured data so that context can be provided in machine learning form. You know, that, that context can be provided as part of the machine learning format. So if you get an IP address, you ingest that into your SIM, you ingest that into your TIP, you can now not only have that indicator, but have the contextual information around that indicator to say, oh, well, this is the source that where that originated from. Yeah, we don't trust that source. So I can deprecate that on my side, even though my threat intelligence provider thinks that this is a high-risk IP address, I actually don't think it's a high-risk IP address. So having that additional context allows you to take your own mitigation steps, which I think is really powerful. But then there's still the human side. You know, sometimes when you talk about the human side, you want almost like a second or a third opinion on a particular topic. So, you know, we're seeing this type of, you know, a rise in this type of activity. Uh, for example, we're seeing more crypto miners in, in our environment. Is that just us or is that something that's happening industry-wide or generally? And, and, and that's where you can go back and say to your partners and your threat intelligence partners and say, can you tell me more about this particular threat? And they can provide that information to you. So that is not, that's still not information that's easily ingested into a machine, but it's information that enhances the knowledge of your threat intelligence organization, your, your internal team, so that you can provide more and better information to your customers. Now, one of the things that the report looks at is the direction that the market seems to be taking and that uh, threat intelligence uh, at the outset was really uh, something that governments and financial services organizations were primarily interested in. Those were you know, the big customers when, when this uh, line began, but that more and more organizations are finding it useful. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it used to be your two customers were financial institutions and government agencies, right? But now everybody recognizes the value of threat intelligence. Uh, so, so not only are you expanding threat intelligence to different markets, but you're also expanding your customers for threat intelligence inside of organizations. So it used to be that you, you had to have a team of threat intelligence analysts, and that was who wanted your threat intelligence. But now 
security teams wanted, vulnerability teams wanted. We even see um, a lot of perimeter security or physical security teams that are interested in threat intelligence. Uh, it, you know, incident response teams want threat intelligence. So not only are the verticals growing, but inside of organizations, there's more demand for threat intelligence from a wide variety of, of, of different teams inside the organization. What about open standards? Um, this report uh, says that open standards are now viable and that it's something that perhaps you should be looking for from your providers. I'm a big proponent of open standards. I'm going to hold off on my judgment as to viable. Um, really? <laughs> open standards are important, and, and, and I think we have a good base, especially with things like Styx Taxi, Cybox, etc. Mm -hmm. I think we have a good base for delivering threat intelligence using these open standards, and we should be delivering threat intelligence using these open standards. They're still not implemented in the way that they should be so that they're completely standardized across all platforms. You and I have talked about this before. I'm really old. Um, and I remember <laughs> back in the day when TCP, an open, another open standard, when we'd have to make changes on our some workstations in order to get them to successfully talk to a Cisco switch. Because even though they were both speaking TCP, they weren't really speaking the same TCP. Mm. And we're kind of at that point with threat intelligence where Sticks Taxi should be identical across all platforms. But I've seen time and time again where different, you know, different vendors' implementation of Sticks Taxi means that it's not quite as seamless as it should be for a variety of reasons. So there's a lot of work that still needs to be done there. That doesn't mean we should abandon it. It means we should continue to work on it. And you should absolutely continue to pressure your vendors to make sure that they're delivering truly compliant open standards. Again, whether that's Cybox, whether that's Styx Taxi, Yara, et cetera, they need to be truly compliant with that. It, the report also pointed out that uh, end users are uh, creating sharing capabilities for threat intelligence and that they basically fall into three categories, a public, uh, sort of organizational and industry-led, and private, uh, invitation-only sharing uh, systems. That's always been the case informally, um, where, you know, and I've seen this time and time again, you know, a guy at Bank of America has a buddy at, over at City. And he finds something interesting, so he shares it with his buddy. Um, and, and, and those type of informal exchanges as of, have always happened. You have to remember, this is a relatively small industry. Hmm. So there are a lot of people that know each other, whether it's from conferences, whether it's they've worked together in the past, whether it's from their military background. So there's a lot of intercommunication. There are a ton of private mailing lists Slack channels, other things where security people have shared information. Most security people want to share information. They want to keep as many people protected as possible. What we're seeing more of is formalized sharing. So especially with things like the you know TLP, the, the traffic light protocol, where when threat intelligence comes out and, and, and you can mark it red, orange, yellow, green, makes it easier to know what you can share and not share so that you're not getting anybody in trouble for sharing anything that's too private. So I'd like that we're formalizing the sharing process um, and, and, and creating these more formal groups like the ISACs 
that make it easier and more more effective for people to share information in a timely fashion. One of the things the report points out is how threat intelligence is integrating with what they describe as adjacent capabilities. Um, basically, it, it strikes me that this is uh, has a lot to do with sort of that boardroom level uh, bit of interaction, you know, where the CISO needs to justify resources or or even just explaining things to uh, company executives that uh, threat intelligence provides them with some of the tools or, uh, for lack of a better word, you know, the ammo that they need to answer some of those high level questions that they get. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll give you a prime example of this. I was working with a customer that was involved in a um, acquisition of another company. There were a lot of concerns around HIPAA issues and so on. So we were doing an audit for them. Uh, we found a piece of malware that was sitting on a uh, server that contained PII, personally, I, uh, PHI, actually, personal health care information hmm. that could have been really bad and it could have torpedoed the entire merger process because they would they may have been you know opening themselves up to a really large lawsuit had they continued with the acquisition well it turns out the malware that we found um was used uh to send spam right so you know and the group that it was associated with wasn't known to do anything other than that and so this piece of malware you know, we could we could say with a high level of confidence, we could assess with a high level of confidence was only used as a spam relay. Now, it's not good that they were allowing spam relay malware to enter their network, but that's a lot better than uh, you've been leaking PHI data for the last six months. Right. It's not um, necessarily it, a deal killer. Right. Exactly. And so and, and, and that has a real impact in that report went along to their senior management as they were trying to decide whether to continue along with the merger. So that's a sort of an extreme example of it. But we see this more and more where where threat intelligence is bought into that decision making process. So, you know, another example we see quite often is with uh, vulnerability teams. You know, a vulnerability team will uh, identify a particular threat, but they don't have any control over the patching. And so they'll reach out to the teams that need to do the patching. And if they conclude, if they can include threat intelligence information about why they prioritized it the way they did, uh, then things tend to get patched a lot more effective. For, for example, there's a new Flash exploit. You know, you send that out, hey, we need to patch Flash. And your desktop team comes back and says, yeah, 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 there's a new patch, a new Flash exploit every week. Um, but if they can go back and say there's a new Flash exploit, and we've seen it loaded into this, that you know, these three um, exploit kits uh, in the underground. Then, then people take notice, like, okay, yes, that is a high priority patch that needs to be applied immediately. Hmm. The Gartner report makes some recommendations as they go through some of the threat intelligence use cases. And one of them that struck me was uh, they were saying that some organizations start by getting a service first, and then they try to get that investment to fit the use cases later. And they recommended instead to come at it from the other direction, decide what you want from your threat intelligence in the first place. Uh, what is the end that you have in mind? Um, and they highlighted uh, some some issues here, whether your your uh, approach to threat intelligence was tactical or strategic or technical or business. I was wondering what your insights were into those ideas. 
So I completely agree with that. Uh, it's a mistake that a lot of customers make because they hear they need to have threat intelligence. They may even your security team or, or you know your security team may even hear it from the board. We need to bring in threat intelligence, but they don't know what they want to do with threat intelligence yet. So if your job is to buy threat intelligence, but then you don't know what you're going to do with the threat intelligence, that doesn't really help anybody. So having threat intelligence incorporated into your security plan and into your business plan is much more effective because then that helps you develop requirements that you need uh, uh, in order to find the best partner or partners for you. So are you going to integrate it into your security platforms? Is there going to be a team of analysts who are going to look at the uh, data that's coming in? Who needs the information that you're presenting uh, or that you're receiving from your threat intelligence provider? Is it only the security team? Is it the security team and the board? Is it the security team and uh, other teams within the organization? You have to understand your processes. You have to understand your needs before you can find the right partner. Um, Because without that, you may wind up with somebody simply based on price or because they have a really pretty logo or whatever your decision-making process is. They golf with the CEO um, (laughs) rather than the solution that's going to best fit your needs. And, and, and I mean, to that point, uh, is, it, is it fair to say that at this point in the industry that um, different providers of threat intelligence have different specialties? They, 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 they're, they're better suited to certain organizations than others. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there are vendors that have very specific focuses. You know, there are vendors that specialize in ICS, uh, uh, industrial control systems. If that is a if that's your major concern, then those are the vendors you should be talking to. There are vendors that specialize in largely um, providing reporting. If you're going to be largely an analyst organization and not interested in the sort of the technical integration, then you may want the reporting. You may want that sort of second set of eyes who can work with your smaller analyst team to uh, 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 to, to get you the reports you need, find out the information you need, et cetera. And then there are vendors that specialize in sort of the technical indicators and, and feeding those into the platforms that you uh, that you care about in your organization, uh, or you know that specialize in that plus orchestration, so that you can automate a lot of the the, the sort of the level one tasking of your SOC uh, analysts, um, so that they can you know the, those SOC analysts can be freed up to do other types of work. So no, again, knowing your needs helps you better identify a vendor, and there are vendors that specialize in a lot of different areas. Yeah, they they pointed out the importance of vulnerability prioritization, as they put it. Uh, you know, for example, if you're uh, if you're um, an industrial control system uh, organization, it might not make sense for you to invest in uh, information about banking trojans. There's always going to be some crossover. So even the most hyper focused groups. Uh, of bad guys don't focus entirely on one industry. So I hesitate to recommend specializing too much in your threat intelligence provider, but you are correct in that there are certain things where if you have a need, there are just companies that provide that service better than everybody else. And if you have a limited budget, which most security organizations do, 
And that is what you most need to protect. So, for example, you know, if you're a water plant, if you are a power plant, you, you know, that's where, okay, I'm going to, I need that industrial control systems. I don't need to know about every rat that's out there. And I don't need to know about every banking Trojan or POS malware. That stuff's interesting, but it's not going to help me do my job better. Um, now, again, more broadly, it'd be nice to have that ICS information. And then also here are the bad IPs, domains, and things like that that are out there because you still have to worry about those other kind of attacks as well. You may not be infected with POS malware, but that doesn't mean that that same exploit kit isn't going to hit somebody within your organization. Yeah, this Gartner report makes some uh, recommendations for, uh, they call it three things to do well to get value from threat intelligence. And they break it down into these three categories. They say acquire, aggregate, and action, uh, the three A's. Uh, can you sort of take us through uh, your, your take on those three uh, categories? Sure. As far as the, the, the acquire go, um, where, where, where are you getting the data from? Where, or where is your provider getting the data from? Is it open source? Is it closed source? Um, is it community type uh, threat intelligence, potentially industry delivered threat intelligence, or is it a combination of those? So you want a provider that's providing you as much information as you can get and, and that complements other sources that you may have. So every organization has access to some level of sources, whether that's an industry group, whether that's uh, open source stuff, you have some level of access. What you want is a threat intelligence provider that can provide you with the other types of service that you have, uh, 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 that you don't have easy access to and that you can um, uh, build upon. Um, and then as far as aggregating goes, you want to bring your threat intelligence into a platform that makes sense for your organization. Nobody wants to have five uh, uh, more browser windows open or tabs open on their browser. What you want is you want your threat intelligence where your team works most often. So for a lot of people, that's a SIM. For more and more companies, it's a, a, a threat intelligence platform, a TIP. Um, but there are other sources, maybe analyst notebook, maybe um, uh, a ticketing system. So wherever your team spends their time, that's where you want your threat intelligence. And ideally, you want all of your threat intelligence there in that one place because that allows you to then move it to where it needs to be in your organization from, uh, from that one primary platform. And then you want the threat intelligence to, to be actionable. You want it to either predict events or you want it to be able to detect and help you respond to events and, you know, whenever possible, prevent an, uh, an event from happening in the first place. If you can keep a bad thing out of your network because of threat intelligence, that's the best uh, solution of all. I thought an interesting point they made on the acquire side was that you want to check that if you're getting threat intelligence from multiple vendors, that you're not necessarily spending money if, if both of those vendors are getting their stuff from the same place. There are only so many IPs, domains, and file hashes on the, on the Internet. And while the contextual data is interesting, most of our customers that I work with um, are still heavily reliant on indicator types. And so if you're seeing a lot of overlap from your providers on those indicator types, it may be time to look at them and say, well, 
am I really getting value by having both vendors? What is the, the, the what, what's sort of in the Venn diagram of threat intelligence? Who's providing me with unique indicator types and how valuable are the unique indicator types that they're providing to me to my organization? So if they're providing just, you know, thousands and thousands of unique indicators, but none of those indicators are actionable within your organization, maybe that's not a good fit for your uh, for your team. What do you consider to be the first step? If I'm someone looking to add threat intelligence to my security posture, what's the first thing I need to do? I mean, the first thing you need to do is know what you what your capabilities inside your organization are. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so I always tell people, know what you have first and know what threat intelligence you may already have. So many security vendors today offer some level of threat intelligence. Make sure you don't already have access to some of that. And, and that'll kind of give you a start. And then once you know what you have, know what you need. So that's understanding the, your process, understanding the process of the teams that you work with, whether that is the security team, the vulnerability team, the you know, senior management, understand what they need because that allows you to ask the right questions of a potential threat intelligence partner. If you know that what you need is more vulnerability information, make sure that they have that and make sure they have it in a way that you can consume it in your organization. If what your problem is, is that you're just overloaded with alerts in your SIM, make sure that not only does your threat intelligence provider um, give you indicators that you can correlate in your SIM, but make sure they provide you the context and sort of the customization that allows you to say, okay, these are the indicator set we care about. We know these are low false positive. And so that'll help us prioritize how we respond to incidents. You know, that kind of thing. If your board is really concerned about geopolitical activity, make sure your threat intelligence provider can share that type of information with you. So when you know what the needs are, you can better pick a good match for a vendor. Our thanks to Alan Liska for once again joining us. You can download the Gartner Market Guide for Security Threat Intelligence Products and Services at go.recordedfuture.com slash gartner-market-guide. We've got a link in the show notes as well. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Futures Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Amanda McKeown, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by Pratt Street Media with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.